Three. Hey there, and welcome to Dear Fandom, where everything you like is terrible, and sometimes you are all terrible, too. And it's okay, mostly. Um, <laughs> and I'm Megan. <laughs> and I'm Hillary. And today we're going to be revisiting uh, the episode, I think it was our episode, was it episode five or six or seven? It was episode two. Two, Jesus. Oof, too long. Um, we're going <laughs> to revisit uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake specifically. So uh, just a quick flashback to what's going on. Um, so... In our second episode, I had done some bare bones research on Final Fantasy VII, and uh, I was like, "All right, this is a pretty interesting." I I was a child when it came out, and I didn't have a PlayStation. And by the time I got a PlayStation Two, I could not afford the original Final Fantasy VII game because it was so expensive at that point. So now yeah. the remakes come out, and in the uh, months since, uh, I've played it, I have watched videos, I have watched theory videos, I have watched recaps, I have watched character plotline stories, and I have become, like, wholly enveloped in this world of Midgar. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it's... One of the things I wanted to talk about today, and, and obviously Hillary's going to be helping out with this, is that yeah. the fandom's reaction to Final Fantasy VII Remake has been generally like they're very happy about it, except let me nitpick 16 different things that I did not like. Uh, and <laughs> I hate men so much. <laughs> and one of the things that I wanted to start out with is the narrative of Final Fantasy. So as I said uh, in, the, in the original episode, and me and Hillary talked about death of an author and kind of revisiting a topic that you've already revisited and extrapolating on it, um, this, in fact, upon review, is not just revisiting the story. So Final Fantasy VII has a linear story um, with a lot of big plot twists and things that, that uh, I mean, were revolutionary for the time. You, you find out that your main character... Um, has been having a kind of uh, delusions and the person you thought he was, he wasn't. Kind of like a memento kind of uh, re um, revelation. There's things along the lines of, you know, different characters have passed away and you didn't know. All these wonderfully crazy plot twists. And uh, in Final Fantasy VII Remake, they don't get to touch on any of that because Final Fantasy VII Remake is the equivalent of, like, the first season of a very good TV show. And you're like, I can't wait to see what happens next season. <laughs> um, hopefully it'll be just as good. Don't shit the bed, everybody. Um, so, so with the first disc, I guess, or part one of the remake, it deals a lot with filling the shoes of... Final Fantasy VII. And that's why it only touches on the first 10% of the game. Because what they wanted to do was create this world that is Final Fantasy VII, but a little different. Uh, they, they kind of go off on a different timeline. Uh, Umbrella Academy, we talked about timelines. And it's, it's great. It's really interesting. Because if you've never played Final Fantasy VII before, you wouldn't necessarily know that there's going to be a different timeline. But you'll be like, well, that's a very weird, ambiguous ending. I'm excited for more. Um, but the fandom, however, keeps referring to this timeline change as a meta reference or a meta narrative. And one of the things that leads this narrative that they keep calling meta is, are these things called the whispers, which were not an aspect of the original game. They're these dementor looking things that just come out of nowhere every time a plot point from the original game is going to be changed. So for instance, um, at one point in the game, 
there's this evil scientist dude who goes up to the main character and he says, oh, let me tell you your entire backstory. And these Dementor <laughs> motherfuckers are like, not now, go! Like, and, oh my god! And they, oh god that... and they grab him and they throw him in an elevator and they're like, get the fuck up to the top floor, we're not dealing with this now. We have 40 more hours of game before he's allowed to be that like revealed. I mean, no, they do not say that. What happens is he goes, oh, Cloud, didn't you know you weren't a... And then the Dementors appear and they're just fucking like, nope, we're not touching on this. But if you've never played Final Fantasy VII, you have no idea why the Dementors just kidnapped the weird dude. You're just like, oh, okay. You're like, you're like, it's like Nega Doc Brown. You're like, okay, all right, Nega Doc Brown. I guess the Dementors didn't like what you had to say. Right, Nega Doc Brown. Yeah. <laughs> like, take everything good about Christopher Lloyd and just, just make it really bad. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> And so they, they say that because these whisperers exist, it's creating a meta-narrative. Now, the definition of meta, and I mean this like the actual definition it, as an adjective, is when it's referring to a creative work, referring to itself or to the convention of its genre. It's self-referential. Now, you can't say something, like, because the whisperers don't speak, because they literally don't grab Negadoc Brown and come out of nowhere and say, hey, not yet. We got a lot more hours of gameplay before we're allowed to talk about that. Like, then it's not meta. You can't call something meta because... Just because somebody who's played the game before, the original game, would go, Oh, I know exactly what he's going to say. Meta references should be self-contained within the narrative that they're in. You can't call something meta if it calls back to another thing that maybe not necessarily your entire playing audience has, re has seen or read or heard about. Yeah, it's it's not like a, a throwback for... A lot of people are mistaking meta for a throwback for the fandom, like a fandom shout-out, and that's not necessarily what it is. Like, we have two good examples. We just discussed one, and I just thought of another one that's, like, excellent uh, example of meta, so... Please go uh, ahead. I'd love to hear your new example of meta. Okay, so the show, um, the show, um, it's the one with Phoebe Waller-Bridge. It's, um, um Fleabag. Fleabag, yeah. That is such I I watch I I've just started watching it and it is it, the breaking of the fourth wall and the referential fact that she is part in part of a narrative and like exists like within like within this kind of reality between her fictional reality and the reality of the audience, like, but it's contained within the narrative, that mm -hmm. is meta. That is, you know, like and she does it constantly. So it's like, it's an aspect of the show. Exactly. Um, Breaking the fourth wall is usually a very good indicator of a meta reference. Yes, you exactly. You don't always have to have a broken fourth wall to have a meta reference, but it usually does speak to the strength of your referencing if you're saying something's meta, if the character in itself is reference is breaking the fourth wall, like Deadpool is a constant meta of just superhero tropes and genres and making fun of X-Men. Deadpool's a perfect example. It's something where he's like, uh -huh, X-Men, and you're just like, he has the X-Men, but like, that's, and that's the joke. He, <laughs> and he goes beyond it because he references the actor, he references Ryan Reynolds, Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Deadpool. These are meta references. Usually meta references are best done alongside comedy. And it's this... just it just goes hand in hand because a self-aware work 
always likes to make fun of itself. <laughs> yeah, and this has been this has been this is not exclusive to super modern media. The example that Megan and I were discussing before we hit record is uh, was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yes. And yeah. So Megan, you want to explain that oh, one? Oh yeah. So basically, like with Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the movie starts out on a meta joke with King Arthur following having his uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but having him followed by two coconuts being banged together in the sense of it's a horse. Now, it's not a meta joke by having two coconuts imitating the sound of a horse galloping. It's a meta joke when one of the guys in the scene points out that he's not on a horse. It's just banging two coconuts together. <laughs> when you're aware of of the joke in the movie that or the game, I think um, one thing, I, I know you haven't played this game, but uh, for PlayStation 2, there was this game called Jack and Daxter. And okay. uh, Jack was a silent protagonist. Daxter was like this kind of like orangey looking weasel thing. And he constantly broke the fourth wall. Like if you messed up a mini game, he'd be like, so uh, maybe go left next time. <laughs> and it, it's great. It's a very funny game. And it's it's something that meta meta references have been made in video games before, but you need a comedic character to bring those to light. Something like the Whisperers being arbiters of fate to keep the timeline clear is not a meta reference because if you've never played Final Fantasy VII before, how are you supposed to know what the original timeline is supposed to look like? If, so for instance, one of the things we all know is that Aerith dies, which, you know, now that this uh, these arbiters of fate kind of exist, we know that technically because they've, uh, at the end of the game, Something happens and they all disappear. They all go away forever. So the rest of the game is very open and you don't know exactly how it will go. So that's something that's new. You don't know will Aerith die in the next installment of this thing. But if this were to continue on the trend and the Whisperers were still around, like the the meta joke would be or the meta reference would be like Aerith looking at Cloud deep in his eyes and go, listen, uh, you got about six and a half weeks until I get stabbed in the back by Sephiroth. So I'm just saying, like, if you want to get down, we got to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling you that I would say no or no at all. I'm just saying, like, I have a very definitive timeline. I'm and dying this, soon. And, you know, um, on top of that, this would not be like, I had a premonition of my death, which would be something that the narrative would be able to explain away. This would her being being like, I have knowledge of this because the creators have endowed me with this knowledge. Like Exactly. And this is and this is something that I, I appreciate the fandom looking at Final Fantasy VII, looking at this work of art, looking at this very intense kind of new storyline and going, I'm going to put all these big words on it. And I'm literally sitting there and I'm like, sir, <laughs> sir. Sir, my good sir, just because you use the word doesn't make it the correct word. You keep using this word. I do not think you know what it means. That's like, like when I say that Cloud is a Bishonin, it's true because they put him in three different dresses over the course of the game, depending on which route you choose. And at no point do I go, well, that's unattractive. I go, babe, can you rewind? <laughs> and like, I... I just, I think one of the most beautiful things about the Final Fantasy VII Remake is that it is not a meta-narrative. It is truly something that if you don't know anything about Final Fantasy VII, you can go in, you can enjoy it, and then you're going to sit for a while and you're going to go, wait, so what was that ending about? You'll do yeah. a little research. You'll be like, okay, what happened here? Oh, 
Oh, that character was supposed to die, but they're not dead at the end of the game. Oh, okay. And then you'll go and you'll research everything because mm-hmm. gatekeeping is the worst thing to happen in the existence of fandom in the entire universe I ever. I completely agree. I think a great Western example of this, which I actually just like just popped into my head because of like the way you're talking about this is um, it's a lot of fandom nostalgia and um, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back are, is probably like the best example I can think of because all of the characters from uh, Kevin Smith's previous movies are like many of them make reappearances. Yes. And if you're a person who's never, who kind of is like a casual viewer and doesn't have in-depth knowledge of the Askew universe like myself and Megan. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that if you don't, guys. Yeah, it's, it's okay. It's it's a lot. It's obscure Jersey shit, but like... We're ready. <laughs> <laughs> we're ready. But um, you'll, you'll be like, oh, these are some cool, interesting characters, and they know a lot of people. But like, if you're part of this like tiny, weird fandom, you're like, oh, it's Holden McNeil, and it's um, Banky Edwards, and it's Hooper X, and it's like everybody, so... <laughs> exactly. And like that is something like I wouldn't even cla- like the the meta narrative is, is something like like that's an actually really good example of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back because so the first time I ever watched Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and feel free for every movie snob to like, oh, excuse me, how did you not know this? But I had never seen Good Will Hunting. Like, I swear to God, didn't know what the movie was about. I mean, I knew Matt Damon was in it. And I was like, oh, look at Matt that's Damon. A, that's OK. <laughs> it was a movie made in 1997. The only reason I knew what it was was because Alex, like my brother, had a like big obsession with it for like like five months. So. I mean, I never watched it because, um, so obviously Robin Williams was one of those actors in the 90s and the 2000s. You know, he could do no wrong for boomers and millennials alike. Gen X loved him too. He was something that was, he was just universally beloved. But he had very specific genres depending on your generation. You were a kid. You liked Aladdin and Mrs. Doubtfire. That was it. Exactly. I'm sorry, am I going to watch him talk like a professor for two and a half hours? Excuse me. I'm going to go play Legos. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so Goodwill Hunting in the context of Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, so they have this, because it's Goodwill Hunting too. because at this point I believe in <laughs> that Damon's so weird. It's, it's, yeah, it's like uh, it's hunting season or whatever. And yes. like, it's great, because like they, they reference a joke from the original movie on um, like how you like them apples except he's shooting dudes and like this is perfect like for me I watched it originally younger didn't get any of these references didn't really get any of the meta narratives or anything like that and I was just like yeah, this is a fun movie I like this stuff you see uh, Carrie Fisher you see Mark Hamill and you're again you're younger you don't really know you know you can't place these actors to who they were originally in the Star Wars universe but as you grow up you're like ah, I get these jokes now this is and again i feel that meta specifically is a narrative device used best and executed best in humor i get it you think it's funny because because uh every review i watched on final fantasy 7 remake was like ha 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 kingdom hearts like and i'm like all right let's sit down here um we're not gonna we're not gonna take the name of the lord in vain all right Megan, it's okay it's oh we can like take a breath it's fine so so wait so this is and this is really funny because everyone was talking about and i didn't i didn't realize this upon my first review but tetsuya nomura is the creator and director of most kingdom hearts games he's just some he's just some dude who sat in his room and he's like all right, 
So technically I have Goofy and Donald, but what if I added a lot of weird narratives in here and the plot became so convoluted, eventually just like 30 people in the world are gonna like this game. And, <laughs> and they decided that that guy was best suited for Final Fantasy VII Remake to be the director. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. So I didn't know that in the beginning because um, Yoshinori Kitase is the original director back in 97. But he's in his 60s now, and he was very much of the opinion, like, I'm going to, like, step back. This is kind of be something that I'll oversee. And, like, if I have any questions on the process, I'll, 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 I'll approach Tetsuya. Um, but Tetsuya became the director. Now, Tetsuya is the youngest of the original group of the Final Fantasy VII creative team. Uh, he's 45 currently. I believe maybe 40. No, he's 45 currently. And, um... And uh, it, he was he was a young guy, and, and basically what his job was in the beginning, uh, when the original game was created, was just the character design. He designed Cloud, he designed Aerith, he designed Tifa, he designed every character, and that was his job, which is why the Kingdom Hearts games are so visually, like, impactful. You have Organization 13 with crazy hair colors, but all in very black robes. Um, and you, you kind of get an idea of their personalities through their hair, through their weapons, but not necessarily through their clothing, whereas the kid characters are very expressive through their clothing, things like that. So they decided to give this guy the role of director. And I think with him, and, and they actually had to sit down as a creative team and they're like, all right, we can do a shot for shot remake of Final Fantasy VII, or we can do something different. Because as anybody in a fandom knows, when you do a shot for shot remake, you're still not gonna please everyone. You're never going to please anyone when you remake something that is classically beloved. I'm certain Disney's figured this out at this point. <laughs> The the answer but, is no, Megan. <laughs> the answer is no because we're releasing Mulan. By it, we're gonna put it on Den Disney Plus, so that way you can pay money to stream it on the platform you already pay money for on a monthly basis. Yeah, thirty dollars. Thirty dollars. Thirty dollars. Okay. So oh, point God. being is that a shot for shot remake is not something that the creative team decided would be in their best interest. They wanted to hit on the major plot points of the game. But they did want to introduce a new narrative that both new fans and old fans could look at and go, the old fans would go, oh my god, this is so different, this is so interesting, what will happen? And the new fans are going to go, this is a fun game, I really enjoy this. And overall, overwhelmingly, that has been the response. Everyone really enjoys the differences in these games. I personally always love... Uh, games that fuck around with timelines because or and movies that fuck around with timelines and tv shows that fuck around with timelines i actually got into an argument with my uncle about the umbrella academy two days ago because he's like because he was explain he was upset as to how a fish could be on an android body and i went but the multiple timelines don't confuse you and he goes well that could happen um i Imagine, imagine a television show being fictional and like things just being like accepted as reality. <laughs> I mean, listen, I get it. Sometimes we got to all hold on to that belief that there could be an alternate timeline version of us where like I currently live in a castle on a hill made of cheese and it's Brie, so, but it's cold no. enough that the Brie doesn't melt. <laughs> I was going to say Brie's, Brie's problematic. <laughs> Oh my god. But that's the point, is that multiple timelines is something I love fucking with, because it is just, a lot of multiple timelines you deal with theories, and 
I think one of the things I've seen in fandoms as they've grown and they've gotten older is that theory discussion is great. I mean, the Harry Potter universe was dealing with theory discussion long before a lot of other universes were. And, you know, you'd go, oh, how, what did this happen? And da 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 da. I mean, Harry Potter decided to try the, the multiple timeline universe thing. And um, that did not, it was not, don't, no, Cursed Child doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, no, but they actually, um, they, she successfully uh, did a plot about time travel. Um, so, yes. Well, um, that's, that time travel, you're talking about the time turner specifically. The time, with... the time ter- turner and the, the discussion of time and the possibility of like accidentally altering time. Exactly. And that's a really interesting topic to like, to just like touch upon in any kind of remake, because the idea that you're going to be able to faithfully recreate something in the way you did it 20 plus years ago is just not a realistic goal. I think especially considering fandoms that hold um, certain, certain titles, certain genres, like very high in terms of like reverence. And um, with Final Fantasy VII, it's the most popular Final Fantasy game far and wide over the generations. And I would say that this remake was something that, like, I... I loved because when I was into going to conventions back in the day, I knew the spoiler of the game. I knew Aerith died. I knew Sephiroth stabbed her because when you'd walk around any convention center, you'd see about 60 different women in pink dresses and about 60 different guys or girls behind them with a really long fucking sword about to stab them in the back. And I'm like, this is great. (laughs) Have I ever told you the time I was at a party in my freshman year of college and I accidentally spoiled that for somebody? And like, she like almost started crying but she was really drunk but like (laughs) (laughs) i just i okay this is the thing with with well-known spoilers like for instance uh sephiroth killing eris or Aerith, depending on which translation is um or like i'm trying to think of like another very good i mean canonically i guess you know a very big spoiler for the harry potter universe is snape kills dumbledore it's just a very big spoiler in general um and when people are like i didn't know that i literally and like and I mean currently, today, like if you say something about that, like if I said something about that tomorrow to someone and they go, oh, I didn't know Snape killed Dumbledore. And I'd be like, well. Or like serious. Well, di- yeah. Or like serious dies or something like that. Like a big, like shit that we all knew. Like, And it's just like you want to sit them down and you go, well, congratulations on successfully avoiding the Internet for 16 years. Like, I am goddamn proud of you. <laughs> like, I don't know how you did it because I couldn't. But yeah, um, I've always. And it's just like, like don't don't obsess over the fact that something was spoiled. Just because you know the spoiler doesn't mean you know the events leading up to it. Exactly. Um, on the on the topic of remakes, I have always found with remakes that if you're going to make one, you may as well do something new with the medium. Exactly. Like, like add buttholes to cats. Uh, <laughs> I mean that as well. Okay, okay, Aunt Gail. (laughs) Hillary's like, we're done. Let's uh, end this podcast right now. (laughs) The only, the only thing I want to talk about from Bob's Burgers is the fact that Bob's bisexual. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it's it's just you're right. With with remakes, you you want to touch on the original subject matter, but you need to make it transformative. You need to take you need to take it, and so one of the things that that I couldn't appreciate uh, at the time that I originally played the game and to now is that one of the biggest, like, spoilers, it's not really a spoiler, there's a character who's dead throughout the entire game. His name's Zack. Uh, he's, he's, he's dead before the events of the game. You basically find out his backstory halfway through the game. And, um, it, it, I mean, his, his specific backstory is a big spoiler, so I'm not going to spoil 
too much about his backstory, but it's, it's, you know, he's, he's a character who has interacted with Aerith. That's basically like, he's her ex-boyfriend or something like that. And, uh, and in the game, all that matters is that he inform like his, his, uh, his life informs how these characters act at the end of the remake though. Uh, he's, it's implied that he's alive. Because uh, what happened is in the original game, um, he was heading back to Midgar with Cloud and they were ambushed. Cloud survived. Zack did not. Like, that's your basic plot. Um, and in this, re in this ending of this remake, uh, part one, they're ambushed. Cloud is unable to fight. He passes out. Zack is able to take on this ambush and he succeeds. He successfully gets through it and he survives, which is such a huge diversion from the narrative in the way Cursed Child is a huge diversion from the narrative. But Cursed, but the thing is, um, the thing about uh, Cursed Child versus Final Fantasy VII from what you are telling me is the fact that even with this diversion from the like original plot it's still in line with the established rules of the universe like yes. like joe rowling literally broke canon for like this no play. that's correct because <laughs> because what what this is establishing so at the end of the the game you have uh zach surviving this big ambush and then there's this uh this like paper pamphlet thing that goes by it's propaganda and there's this little war dog that they've like war puppy that they've been kind of uh, just using as like a little easter egg throughout the game and in the game it's a beagle with a metal war helmet on and then um and then this this war propaganda poster that flies by in front of zach it's not a beagle it's a dachshund and instead of a metal war helmet it's kind of those you know those green army caps that are like uh with the with the stars and stripes right on the front uh like in an embroidered section yeah and you can, and, and, and at that moment, that's how you know this is a different timeline because these little war dogs that are meant to be propaganda are two different kinds. And they would only be two different kinds if they existed in two different universes. That's really interesting. That's a really subtle universe change. Isn't it? That's something that I didn't recognize. I mean, this is the kind of thing that, like, you're not going to notice until you go back and play it again. I, I would say it's the exact same thing for anybody who's really into any TV show or movie where it's just, you know, like you don't recognize every hit and every beat on the first watch. And so you go back and you rewatch it. And, and that increases the rewatchability, the replayability of a game. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's amazing to me. <laughs> no, it's... Um, I'm, I, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, I'm not really a gamer. It's just, like, uh, for some reason, like, the, the hand-eye coordination doesn't really, like, work very well for me. Like, it, like, there's something, some sort of disconnect in my brain. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know why. I don't know. I've never been able to grasp it. People have, like, tried to teach me, and it's just, like, doesn't work. But I admire um, video games as a um, as an art form because I think they're becoming more complex. And it uh, it's like they're like sort of like participatory theater in a way. Like you, yeah, it's like you get to be part of the action, but also like you get these animated sections where like sh it's a play and shit's or like a movie and shit's being explained to you. Like that's cool. Like this interactive like performance art piece like that's really interesting to me and um the clip I, I watched like a few clips 
on uh, YouTube to prepare for this episode. Not like very many. <laughs> I love you, girl. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I was I was really impressed by a the um, the quality of the animation because the last time I looked at video games, they were kind of crappy but oh, yeah. like <laughs> oh, yeah. but you know it's uh it's really impressive now like they're very very lifelike but also like not too uncanny valley you know like polar yeah. express shit <laughs> yeah, no, no yeah polar express you were like this is great turn it off <laughs> <laughs> this is great they're looking into my soul um <laughs> But also, you care about the you care about the characters, and you're it, like I, like I'm intrigued, and they get good voice actors, and I'm intrigued by this action. Like, yeah. I I would almost like fumble my way through the through the gameplay experience so I could get to these sections. See, that's something that I love about role playing games is the narrative aspect. Uh, a, a strong narrative, I believe, can can fulfill like a lot of different checkboxes with regards to whether a game is, is, is worth purchasing or spending money on. I mean, yeah. I know nowadays in the society we live in, Twitch streamers are a thing, or there's like people who go on YouTube and record the entire game so you don't have to purchase it. And I actually absolutely appreciate those people because as somebody who literally only had like a PS2 and that was it. Um, and my mom wasn't going to buy me additional games. She was like, if you get them for your birthday or Christmas, like then you get them. But I'm not going to buy you anything. Because uh, I tried to get her to buy me Grand Theft Auto 3. And that did not work out well. So she never trusted me again. Um, with regards to purchasing video games that weren't rated E for everyone. Uh, so, so like... I, oh my god. I know, right? Oh my god. That's... Uh, you've told me the story. And like, honestly, the way you did it was pretty slick. So like... I, I did. I, it was it was great. Like I was over. So my mom was uh, my mom was on a date or whatever, and, and me and that guy's kids were like hanging out, and, and like the older brother was playing Grand Theft Auto Three, and like I was like 13, 14, and I was like, oh my god, like it's amazing, it's so cool because you could just commit crimes, and you're thirteen, and you're like, yay, <laughs> woo, and, and you like you look back at it now, it's like that was intensely problematic. <laughs> it <laughs> was mostly for like the beating of the hookers. Oh. That was a lot that was like you just you grabbed a bat and you're like now i got my money back and i'm like yay let's do it again (laughs) you know 13 year old disconnect yeah Um, like and i tried to get my mom to buy this for me because it was christmas time and she goes and she goes what do you want for christmas and i'm like oh we should get um grand theft auto 3 because me and kaylin will play it and i'll have a fun time and she's like okay sounds good so she goes into gamestop and she's like yeah can i get grand theft auto 3 and the guy I'm glad he asked her. He's like, is this for you? And she's like, oh, no, it's for my daughters. And he went, how old are your daughters? And she's like, 13 and 11. And he's like, yeah, you're not going to want that game for your kids. Wow. He, I mean, like, he absolutely did the right thing. But, like, from, uh, yeah, from, a, 13, that, dude. from a 13-year-old's perspective, like, what a fucking narc. <laughs> I know. But also, like, as somebody who's about to have a kid, I want definite employees at GameStop who would be like, how no, old are you, you, kid? Um, yeah, no, don't get that. No, <laughs> absolutely. When I become a parent, it's like, like when my child starts like playing video games or like watching movies, I'm going to be like monitoring that shit. So. Exactly. Because nowadays you're like, if Grand Theft Auto 3 was like, was something that they didn't really check the ratings back then. They were like, yeah, sure, Billy, go ahead and grab that and go on home. <laughs> Billy. 
<laughs> I love the name Billy. Um, but with with specifically with um, with playthroughs on YouTube, and like this is what the fandom has become: is you can still love and absorb video games like a narrative, like a movie, like a TV show. Um, and you can do it entirely on YouTube. Uh, it's just, I think, the idea of being in the game, playing the game, choosing the decisions that your characters make, that is what makes it wonderful. I know um, one of the games that I really liked but I never got to play was the Bioshock game. And uh, the reason I never got to play it was because uh, I, I think it was for a PlayStation 3 when it came out. And I did not have a PlayStation 3, so I couldn't I couldn't get it and so I watched a playthrough online and I was just absorbed in this story and I loved it um and it helped me to like you know like having that access to that game without having to purchase that system was so good and I love that more and more nowadays you see that stuff but I'd still advocate for, on behalf of like if you start watching a playthrough of something and you're like this looks so cool I want to do I want to like play this myself I'd say if you have the system, spend the money and do that. Because if you don't have the system, obviously watch a guy play it on YouTube or a girl play it on YouTube. It's worth it to just have that, especially if you can get like a good quality like stream. Yeah. But it's it's definitely like playing a video game is such an immersive experience. Like Hillary was saying, it's something that you know you're. It's 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 like being in a play, except instead of you, you you become the character, and that was one of the things about Final Fantasy VII that I in the reviews I was watching that that was talked about that, that with Cloud he had such a base personality, such a bare personality, that the player was able to kind of enmesh themselves into Cloud and all of the decisions that Cloud made that made him a whole person that, that transformed his personality, the player felt that they contributed to that, that they were the reason that Cloud was becoming who he was. And that's something like you can't you can't replicate that on a stream. No. You can't replicate that on a stream. And um, I think that that sort of experience of sort of projecting yourself onto a character is a classic fandom experience. Like a yeah, very, absolutely. especially with, um, especially with a protagonist that is like female or a little more on the feminine side, because a lot of people playing it, like, I mean, there are men who play video, like tons of men who play video games, but a lot of people who play, you know, uh, RPG video games are women. Yeah. And, um, a great example of this, a literary example, this slightly, something that's slightly more in my wheelhouse is, uh, Twilight. I actually, picked up a copy of Twilight and I read it. It's it's pedestrian writing, but essentially the character of is of Bella is so bare bones so that your 13 to 15 year old reader can project herself onto this girl who has a vampire boyfriend. And um, I'm not saying it's like the healthiest example. I think that uh, Final Fantasy VII is much more, you know, is much more better. That's so grammatically correct. <laughs> it's, much, it's much more better, as they say in the literary scholarly world. <laughs> I, I have a master's degree. <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, uh, not, not, to, not to go off on my whole, like, the Twilight movies are hilarious and great, actually. But We're changing like, the title of this episode name. It's now about Twilight. <laughs> I actually want to do an episode on Twilight, but um, that's neither here nor there. Um, I mean, listen, I'm... 
just as a quick like sidebar, guys, um, I've never watched nor read a single thing about Twilight because when I was 17 or however old I was when I came out, I took a stand and I was like, God damn it, if it's not Dracula, I don't want to know about it. <laughs> I I was not. I mean, uh, we'll get back on subject in a second, but like, um, just I was kind of on the fringes of it just like because a lot of people I knew were very interested in it just because just like I was sort of on the fringes of the Final Fantasy world because my best friend was very into Final Fantasy and very into Kingdom Hearts and stuff like that so I had yes. like a tangential interest in it <laughs> but yeah, like, yes that's a that's a good way to describe it tangential you're like I know some things can I tell you the plot no but I can tell you there's a dude named Cloud yeah, there's a very pretty dude who is bare bones who you can project your own experiences onto. And when and when he dresses up in feminine clothing, it is you exploring your gender identity and thus and so on and so forth. Um, Actually, just as a quick thing about the gender identity. So in the original Final Fantasy VII, this uh, Cloud, Cloud gets dressed up because uh, so Tifa is going to the Dawn's house. And uh, the Dawn is looking for a new wife this night. Um, the Dawn happens to look like not any Dawn that would be from the state of New York or New Jersey. So, you know, from the state of Japan decided to watch The Sopranos and then go, but what if he was blonde and weird? <laughs> yeah, there is. I, I can think of no mobster on planet Earth. <laughs> like... I, actually, it's Japan going, what if Gary Oldman were short, blonde and fat? That's it. Because um, <laughs> Gary Oldman has definitely played Dons before. Like, if you watch Leon the Professional, you're like, oh, yeah, he's, like, weirdly hot in this. Now, just imagine that weirdly hot Gary Oldman. Just shrink him down, like, four or five inches. Have him gain around 100 pounds. Uh, have him get, like, a weird, like, mohawk-looking hairstyle. And uh, kind of sound like Harvey Firestein. There we go. Perfect. Mwah. The Don. Um, I'm like really, I'm like really into this. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really great thing. So on this night, I feel like I'm already like on this night, they choose the the, the new bride for the Don. And like, so it's between, T so Tifa's already been selected as a candidate. Your Tifa's gone in. Your voice is already going, like, I'm so already, our hometown. You, like. you don't understand. I'm moving my hands in gesticulation. <laughs> it's happening. Um, so Tifa's already been chosen. Her candidacy has been secured. She has gone to Chocobo Sam. Chocobo Sam has recommended her. So now, <laughs> so now, hold on. Wait, I'm going to explain this scene as a closer for this. It's going to be great. So now we have the needy Aerith and the Cloud, who's the protector. He's not Cumulus. We don't know. Um, I'm sorry, I guys. swear. I, I hate you. <laughs> no, I, I don't. This. I love you. <laughs> so, so Aerith now is like, I will go to the Dawn so I can protect Tifa because they're hearing all these stories. The Dawn kills his wife. Oh, no. So... Tifa, sorry, not Tifa. Aerith goes to Madam M, who owns the hand massage parlor, which is their way of saying hand job massage parlor. Uh, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's great. It's hysterical because it literally is a hand. Like she gives Cloud a hand massage, but he sounds like he's orgasming. Anyway, part three. <laughs> <laughs> So she goes to Madam M. Madam M says, please fight in this contest for me. Win me a million gil and I will provide you with a dress. Aerith and Cloud do as such. She is provided with a dress. Cloud then waits at Don Corneo's mansion to go and escort Aerith into <laughs> such a location. Aerith then comes up all beautified and she goes... Oh, by the way, there's a guy named Andrea. He really wants to do you up, too. And Cloud goes, I'm sorry, what? 
And so Aerith now takes off in her floor-length red gown with the deep V-cut, and she runs over to the Honey Bee Inn, which is in fact not a strip club, but more burlesque. It's very cute. And they've got honey boys and honey girls. And Andrea Rodeo is the leader. And when I tell you he's gorgeous, but like in like, like, you know, (laughs) you know, when like when people play with like, you're like, ah, this is a very flamboyant man with the deep, deep voice of a soldier who's seen a lot of battles. Okay, they play with that in the Venture Venture Brothers when it's like uh, Dr. Girlfriend, who is like very Jackie O, but clearly voiced by a man. Absolutely. (laughs) It is it is that. And so Andrea decides I will. And Andrea is actually um, like very into Cloud. Like Andrea's just like, mm, you look good, kitten. And, and Cloud's like, I am gonna, we'll, we'll have a talk about this in the next five to 10 minutes. <laughs> and, and so Andrea says, if you dance at my club, I will give you a dress and a makeover. And Cloud goes, well, there can be nothing inherently wrong with this suggestion. So there is a dance mini game. And when I tell you that I wished I was made of pixels so badly, <laughs> I wish I could have just disappeared into this game and sat and thrown dollar bills at the stage. Like, please let me touch you. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, do not it's apologize. So... Embrace your desires. It Thank is all you. right. <laughs> and so what happens is, is you do your dance mini game. Cloud kills it. Oh, my God. Okay. BTS is quaking. Uh, quaking. Give me, <laughs> give me one. Okay. Can I talk to you about how you sound like Fran Drescher, but also like fucking Christopher Walken? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I am actually their child. <laughs> and then and then after you complete this dance mini game, Andrea sits you down and goes, I will make you beautiful. And uh, and so he puts you in this dress. He does. He has the honey boys and girls do your makeup and your hair. And oh, my God, are those extensions? <gasps> the nails, the hair, the the, the overall air of the room has just changed everyone's questioning their sexuality now what am i doesn't matter i want to do that (laughs) and then after you are revealed to the entirety of the club and everyone goes god damn it i want to fuck whoever that is andrea looks at you and goes honey i'm in love and then he looks at you and goes gender is an expression of the soul and of the heart and i'm like wow man we need to buy 10 copies. <laughs> that's mad progressive. Holy shit. <laughs> and I just want to say that that's legitimately a line. If there's anything I can recommend for everyone to watch on YouTube, it's that scene. And then, you know, you put in a dress. Cloud walks with his hand in the other hand with his nice little Mary Jane heels. Because, you know, he's, you can't, he can't really run with the stilettos. It's difficult. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and he makes his way to Don Corneo's mansion. Him and Aerith are entered into the wife contest. Don Corneo, in a stunning turn of events, chooses the big bones gal, aka Cloud. And the big ma- bones <laughs> oh man, gal. guys. Man, oh man, I just want to say game of the year, A plus. We could have just had a game on that 16 and a half minutes, and I would have been like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's here's, basically just one section. <laughs> here's the, here's the thing. Even though they kind of didn't, they kind of explored this in the original game, right? They did, but so what happened is in the original game, Aerith's also chosen. She gets a dress pretty quickly. Then Cloud goes to uh, where, where where Aerith gets her dress. Cloud's like, 
okay, cool, let's go. And then the guy's like, hey, I got another dress if you also want to sneak in so that way you can protect Tifa. And Cloud's like, all right, I'll protect Tifa in a dress. Okay, <laughs> and, yeah. And so we just, it's the, the intentions are just like, I am dressing up so that I can protect Tifa in this situation should she be taken advantage of. And also in the original game, um, Cloud was not the automatic choice. In this game, no matter what, no matter what your progression of events are in the game, Don Corneo will always, 100% of the time, choose the big bone gal Cloud. And he calls Cloud big boned. And I'm like, sir, that is a musculature. How rude. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and Aerith and Tifa's outfits also change depending on your choices in the game. It's fun. Cloud's outfits change depending on your choices in the game. And it's, it's a lot of just like, it's weird to say like, hey, you know what? I really do love outfit sims. But uh, I really do love Outfit Sims in Final Fantasy VII. If we could add that as an optional section in Part Two and Part Three and every conditional part from here on out, like I want to choose outfits. Well, I mean, <laughs> give me dresses. Uh, even even something as like seemingly superficial as outfits and sort of like the playing with gender and the playing with um, aesthetic uh, for Cloud and for Aerith and Tifa. Um, who are obviously, you know, like, I mean, we don't know, like, people could headcanon them as whatever, but, like, um... Actually, that's something uh, with, really quickly, that's something that, uh, the, the remake is kind of touching on more. In the, in the original, Tifa and Aerith had barely a relationship, and in this, the remake, they really want to develop a, a more intense, deep friendship or love that's kind of, like, ambiguous at this moment. Right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. This was been this has been a very uh, fun episode to record, and uh, we shall see you very soon. See you next week.